Government. We all know it's important to understand, be it state, local, or national, but doesn't the thought of it just make you want to, well, drink? If so, you're in the right place. I'm Angel Romero, your politics and pints aficionado, and this is Ballots and Brews, where we'll talk all things local beer while also diving into what in the world is happening at the local, state, and national government and what you can do about it. It's Schoolhouse Rocks meets the Daily Show meets C-SPAN, so let's get this show started. Hey, good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Ballots and Brews. We are so excited that you could join us tonight. We've got another fun show ahead. We are so excited to have our friend Jackie Lightcamp on tonight's show. She is joining us in another capacity. You know, we had Jackie on the show once before in her capacity as a member of the Auburn Washburn School Board. Uh, but tonight we actually have her on in her role as the co-president of the Kansas League of Women Voters. Um, so we've talked about them on the show a lot, of course, and so we are so excited to get to dive in more to their work tonight and find out just what the league is and how you can be involved. So we're super excited to have Jackie on the show tonight. And of course, we'll be talking all the latest and greatest happenings in local and state government. Uh, The one thing we're going to do tonight that's a little different as we start our show. So normally we would start off with a local bar owner or brewer or someone like that to kind of get us in the mood. But y'all, people are busy uh, right now. Uh, If you haven't noticed, as our community uh, tries to return to some sort of normal see you know we've had events going on uh, left and right and people are just dang busy uh so uh, we actually do not have a beer guest on tonight but what we are going to do is to let you know to tune in next week though because we are very very excited to actually get to do an in-person interview with our friends from Wilcott Brewing in Holton that is actually a new brewery that just opened recently in Holton Kansas they've actually invited us up to their brewery uh, to get a tour to do some sampling um, and then to sit down and talk with them uh, just for those of you that don't know, we record our interviews for this show remotely, virtually. Um, and so this interview coming up will be our first one we've been able to do in person with a local brewery. So we are so excited to, one, sit down in person uh, with some great local brewers, and two, to highlight this uh, brand new brewery opening up in our area, uh, up in Holton. So we are so excited to feature Wilcott Brewing on next week's show. So that's our little little teaser to stay tuned for next week when we will have a, a brewery were on and so we're so excited to have them So, with that said, there has been, of course, no shortage of things happening in the world of state and local government. So, we're going to just hop right into our beer flight of the night tonight. Um, And we're going to start off with our money, 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 pale ale. Um, So, we are, of course, in one of those long months, the month of March, where there are two extra weeks left of the month, which means that there are no official city council meetings these last two weeks. Remember, the city council only meets the first three Tuesdays of uh, the month. So, these last two weeks, there aren't any meetings. Um, However, um, this last week, the city council did have their policy and finance committee meeting, um, which was actually a special public meeting uh, to get input from the public on what the criteria should look like for the $10 million in American Rescue Plan Act dollars that the city is looking at investing in local nonprofit agencies. Uh, So we talked a little bit about this before, about the policy and finance committee looking into how to spend these dollars. And so last Tuesday was the opportunity uh, that folks had to uh, to uh, uh, speak out to the committee about how those dollars should be spent. Uh, now, just for some background, the committee is chaired by Councilman Spencer Duncan, who, of course, you heard several times on this show, including not, well, not too long ago. And the committee is comprised of Councilwoman Christina Valdivia Alcala, as well as Councilwoman Hannah Nager. Um, it was a busy night at the holiday meeting uh, for the holiday building for the committee's meeting. Uh, the committee heard from no less and 20 representatives of social service agencies throughout the community. Um, when you put out a call to just, I'm saying this as a member of the nonprofit community, when you put a call out to social service agencies and say, we would like to hear your opinion, uh, we show up. Uh, so that's right. No less than 20 uh, organizations represented at last week's meeting. Um, and they all took a variety of uh, approaches and had lots of different input uh, to offer to the committee that night. Um, something that was interesting 
the sea. So keep in mind, the committee's uh, initial um, announcement, their charge really for that night was they wanted to hear from nonprofit agencies in our community to get their thoughts on the criteria that the city should use in granting these dollars. So that was that was the expectation that they set was they wanted to hear input on what the criteria should look like for deciding these funds. Note, important clarification there, they did not ask for what those funds should be used for. They did not ask for specific uses of the funds, specific projects that the funds should be applied to. Um, they asked for thoughts on the criteria. That said, uh, people took that message in different ways. So we heard a variety of messages um, and input from uh, nonprofit agencies um, at last week's meeting. Um, first off, we should know we had all types of interests that were represented. So we had organizations working in mental health. Uh, mental health. We heard organizations that work with the arts, with housing, with homelessness, with students, with elderly folks, the, the whole gamut really was represented um, that night. It really was kind of a cross-section of nonprofit organizations in the community. And we, uh, the committee kind of heard it all that night. Um, they heard from some organizations, um, direct program pitches. Um, you know, they heard, um, some organizations such as, uh, the Scent organization, um, that talked about their new housing development that they are working on getting started. We heard other organizations talk about specific programs, um, that they would like to see receive a, a piece of support. Um, but then we also heard from several organizations, um, about more general criteria or things that they would like to see this city keep in mind uh, as they uh, as they work out who's going to receive these dollars. Uh, a couple of organizations actually refer to that community health needs assessment, the CHNA. And we've talked about that before. Remember, the CHNA is that assessment that's done by Stormont Vale as a part of their accreditation process and really looks at what are the overall health needs of our community. Um, and it's really a way not only for the hospital, but for really lots of other nonprofit uh, organizations in the community to assess need and assess and prioritize need in the community. And so several organizations said, you know, maybe we use the community health needs assessment as kind of our guidepost on how to uh, how to administer these dollars in the community. Um, we heard a couple of folks uh, say, uh, whatever you do, just don't make it as detailed or as uh, complicated as the city's current uh, social service grant process is. Um, so the city of Topeka, for those who aren't familiar, does currently administer a social services grant uh, that nonprofits can apply for and has for, for some time now. Uh, so we heard from a couple of organizations that whatever you do, if it could just not be as complicated as that process, that would be great. Um, we heard this was an interesting point, too, and something we've seen come up in recent years because of, of COVID-19. You know, a couple organizations made the point that, hey, let's maybe not exclude organizations that already received COVID-19 dollars um, from being funded as part of these grants. And that's something we've seen in a lot of relief uh, grant opportunities recently is that there sometimes are exclusions uh, for organizations uh, from, who have received prior COVID-19 grants whether that was uh, assistance from the CARES Act or any of the other various assistance uh, uh, pieces of legislation that Congress has passed. So sometimes by virtue of taking those dollars, it excludes agencies from receiving future monies. And so there was uh, some pitch to not do that uh, with these dollars. A couple organizations talked about, you know, not specific projects necessarily, but, you know, said it would be good for the city to develop some broad categories of support um, that they would be willing to provide funding in. So things like maybe housing um, as a category and things like public safety as a category. And then within those, there could be different projects. So we saw that pitch uh, get made. Uh, we had this one was near and dear to my heart. So that works in uh, nonprofits. We had an organization talking about, you know, let's use, let's let agencies use some of these funds for operating expenses uh, that, you know, it costs money to run a nonprofit organization and nonprofits do their absolute very best to keep all their operating expenses as low as possible. And I can personally attest to that as being a part of the nonprofit community. Um, and so this agency said, you know, in order to do this really high quality work, um, it takes it takes dollars to do that. And we should we should want organizations that are doing high quality work and that takes money and investment to do so. And so, you know, sometimes a lot of grant applications uh, prohibit organizations from spending um, dollars on on, uh, on those administrative costs. And so we heard 
from some folks saying, no, let let our nonprofits use some of those dollars for for operating expenses because they'll mean for better service delivery overall. Um, we also heard some organizations talk about the need for equity. Um, and this is actually something that uh, Councilman Duncan talked about when we had him on the show as well, is that, you know, we, we've got this pool of money, again, $10 million. Um, how do we make sure that we're distributing those dollars uh, equally uh, throughout the community in, a, in, a, in an equitable way? Uh, we also had a representative from my organization that I work for, United Way of Greater Topeka. Um, we talked about, you know, let's bring in an outside uh, consultant analyst who can really sit down and sift through all the data that we've collected um, in the community through various means, whether it's things like the community health needs assessment or, or other types of broad-based community assessments that are out there. Let's have a have a consultant come in, sift through all this data, and then help us uh, kind of chart our way forward um, by looking at those areas that the data shows have the most need. Um, and so that was part of our contribution to the discussion as well, in addition to talking about equity um, and things like that. Um, so you can see just a few thoughts that were shared at last week's uh, meeting. So the city uh, council members on that committee will definitely have their hands full. Um, and it does make you kind of glad that you're not in their shoes. Uh, their timeline that they're working with right now um, is they will, based on this feedback, start crafting an application. Um, and then the goal of the uh, of the committee, of the policy and finance committee, is to present an application uh, to the city council at their April 19th meeting that the, the council can then say, looks like it's good to go. And then they can issue that application out to nonprofits in the community. So stay tuned for the April 19th city council meeting to see what the committee has come up with and to see if that application will be going out the door. Uh, our next beer on the flight tonight, this one's kind of a, a cool local, uh, staying local again, cool collaboration to report on. This is the Stand with Ukraine IPA that we're referencing. Um, so again, this is a, a pretty cool collaboration that's taking place right here in Top City. Um, so there's some background. Uh, President Biden announced not too long ago that the United States was committing to taking up to 100,000 refugees um, that are fleeing the war zone in Ukraine. And of, co- and of course, those 100,000 refugees will be distributed throughout the United States. Uh, well, here in Topeka, and you may have heard about this, we have uh, Yana Ross, who is a local insurance agent and is also a Ukraine native uh, that works right here in Topeka. Um, so she has volunteered to lead a local task force. Um, and this local task force, their job and their whole mission uh, is to support the potential resettlement of U- refugees from Ukraine in our community. Um, now, I do have to pause here just to say I happen to know Yana, and she is amazing. She is an outstanding uh, leader in our community, outstanding citizen. And so I'm so excited uh, to see her take on this effort. I've been certainly been thinking of her and her family uh, throughout all uh, throughout this entire uh, situation. And, and so I know this is something that is deeply personal to her. And so it's so exciting to see her see her take this effort on. Uh, so this task force that we're putting together here in the community, it's going to consist of uh, City Councilwoman Karen Hiller, as well as Curtis Needham from the Greater Topeka Partnership, um, as well as representatives for the Topeka Community Foundation and from the Topeka Center for Peace and Justice. So they're going to form uh, this task force um, that they're going to put together. Um, and really the, the kind of reasoning for it came out of, of course, the as I mentioned earlier, the charge that uh, President Biden gave um, that we are looking to take in refugees in our country um, and uh, the uh, what's come up locally from people who have, been, who have contacted city council members and others about wanting to help resettle refugees refugees um, in Topeka if that opportunity came up. Um, and so this really represents kind of a, 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 an effort to do that in a strategic way and in a thoughtful way. You know, this idea that if we are going to host refugees in our community, um, that we really want to do it in a way that's going to be safe and meaningful for folks and that we want to be able to support them uh, in some sort of meaningful way. And so this the, the goal of this task force is really to, to prepare our community for that eventuality, uh, to prepare us for taking in uh, any potential refugees. So they're going to be working hard um, over the next couple of weeks and months to do things uh, to really help our city prepare um, for uh, to potentially receive those folks. Um, if you are interested in uh, participating in this task force, as I understand it, you can contact uh, City Councilwoman Karen Hiller um, to voice uh, your uh, uh, desire to serve on that task force. Some really good work uh, coming ahead for that group. I'm really excited to see them take this really kind of strategic approach to making making sure that we can not only host refugees in our community, but to do so in a, in a safe way, an effective way as well. 
So that's it for the local level. But of course, we have to talk about what is going on at the state legislature. Uh, so, folks, the sands in the hourglass are starting to get pretty thin for the Kansas legislature. Uh, their time is is uh, the time is upon us um, where they will be actually getting ready to head out of town, if you can believe it or not. We are fast approaching uh, the date of first adjournment for the legislature, which is on April 1st. Uh, that is a date where the legislature gets to go home for a couple of weeks and take a much needed vacation. Um, there wasn't any sarcasm in that at all. Um, and then they get to grace us with their presence for a glorious time known as the veto session at the end of April. Uh, as the name suggests, the veto session is a time where the legislature can work to overturn any vetoes that the governor has made this session. And it's also typically when they often pass the omnibus budget bill. Um, the omnibus budget bill is essentially the budget bill that adjusts the budget for the state over the next two years based on the latest economic projections from the Consensus Revenue Estimating Group, a cool and happening group of people if there ever was one, y'all. Um, that is typically the last thing the legislature gets done before they skip out of town for the year. And if these few months have been any indication, uh, legislative folks are in a all-time hurry to get out of town. Uh, remember, they finish their pre-turnaround day business a full day ahead of schedule, which is almost unheard of. And of course, it stands to reason. This is an election year, and so these people want nothing more than to get out of town and start raising money and focus on keeping their jobs and getting reelected. Uh, having to sit around Topeka really just kind of cramps their style, so they are really looking to make a swift exit. Uh, so, what is on their agenda as they start making their summer plans? Well, quite honestly, it is a whole dumpster fire of things. Um, so that means that uh, our next beer flight, uh, our next beer on tonight's beer flight is the voter suppression sour. Uh, this references the bill that we've talked about before on elections. Uh, this is the bill that limits counties to only one ballot drop box per county and ends the three days that voters have after election day to get their mail ballots returned to the post office. As we've discussed before, it's a bad idea, which means that it did, in fact, pass the state Senate last week. Uh, it bears mentioning that Secretary of State Scott Schwab, Kansas's chief election official, has repeatedly insisted that the ballot drop boxes are safe and even on this very show encouraged people to use the drop boxes and has said that it, they can even be better than mailing in a ballot and more secure than mailing in a ballot, given the unpredictability of the mail and the post office these days. Uh, the bill passed the, uh, by the Senate it does a couple of things. It limits the 20 largest counties in the state to just one drop box per 30,000 residents. And for counties that have fewer than 30,000 registered voters, it limits them to one drop box for the entire county. Oh, and the drop boxes must be in a government building or be manned by, by polling agents. This, of course, despite absolutely zero evidence of tampering with ballot boxes in the last election and the fact that you can literally try to run a ballot drop box over with your car and it will survive. A fact that is important for a city like Topeka, where our drivers have a very loose relationship with the distance between their cars and other objects. Uh, of course, as we've discussed before, when you have people traveling around the country peddling their BS about voter fraud, an assertion that numerous courts with judges from both parties shot down last year, um, or talking about China hacking into our voting machines, despite the fact that voting machines are not connected to the Internet at all and thus could not be hacked by China or anyone else, this is what we get. Uh, one glimmer of hope. The measure, of course, still needs to pass the House, and previous attempts at limiting the grace period for voting have failed in the past, so it's entirely possible this bill may not pass at all, uh, but it's also very possible that it might. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And up next on our beer flight, as proof that we are clearly being punished for something, uh, we present our next beer, which is the Kids Don't Need No Stinking Vaccines Porter. Uh, this has us, of course, talking about our favorite piece of legislation concerning the use of ivermectin and whatever other crazy therapy your local doctor finds in a Reddit chat room some night that they decide they want to use to try and treat COVID-19. Uh, this bill, authored by Senator Mark Steffen, has uh, changed a bit since the last time we talked. Um, it would still enable Kansas doctors to prescribe drugs for off-label or alternative uses uh, to treat COVID-19. Um, this includes drugs such as America's favorite horse pace, ivermectin, as well as hydroxychloroquine. Um, now, not only that, uh, the bill also requires pharmacists to fill the prescription, despite if, in their own medical opinion, the drug would not be safe for the patient. Notably, the bill does have one provision it originally, it does not have uh, one provision that it originally 
originally included. Um, that is a provision that would end the investigation of any doctors who had previously prescribed the medication. That piece was especially notable because, that's right, Senator Stephan himself is under investigation by the Kansas Board of Healing Arts for the treatments he provided patients suffering from COVID-19. Um, and, by the way, as if all of that is not bad enough, the uh, of course, the, the chef's kiss on top of all of this is that the bill also allows kids in schools and daycare facilities to be exempted from vaccine requirements based on, quote, sincerely held religious beliefs. And on that note, I believe measles and polio have now entered the chat. Uh, it should be noted that State Senator Kristen O'Shea from right here in Shawnee County was one of the very few Republicans um, that were strongly opposed to the bill because of the added in exemption for kids when it comes to vaccines. And she and a couple other Republicans did end up voting against this measure. Uh, as the Kansas Reflector notes, many senators commented on the dangers of this legislation, uh, including Senator Cindy Holschler, uh, who noted a pharmacist who questioned the bill and indicated uh, that in their testimony that a doctor um, had recently written a prescription for 18 times the recommended dosage of ivermectin, a potentially lethal amount. Under this law, the pharmacist could be required to fill that prescription despite the obvious dangers that are present. Uh, this bill also narrowly passed the Senate on a vote of 21 to 16. Uh, it should be noted that this bill was one of actually a duo, a pair of really bad um, and downright dangerous ideas that passed the Senate related to COVID. Uh, the Senate also took the step of passing a bill that stripped the Secretary of the Department of Health and Environment um, stripped them of their authority to take any preventative action on infectious diseases without first presenting a report to the Senate President and Speaker of the House outlining their recommendations and having them review and approve before being able to take any of those steps. Uh, the bill also strips local health officers of their power to prohibit public gatherings or require isolation or quarantining of infected people during a health crisis. Which really does make you wonder and think what the party of limited government um, is up to these days, uh, because that seems like a whole lot of power to vest in one particular branch of government, but that's just us. Uh, so what's next for the legislature? Uh, well, this week is going to be full of a lot of things, uh, pr primarily probably a lot of conference committee meetings, uh, conference committees being those committees that meet to hammer out the differences uh, between the Senate and House versions of bills that are passed. Um, and who knows what else could come up this week? Uh, the House Fed and State Affairs Committee is actually expected to take up a bill related to a much long for topic in the state, the topic of sports gambling, uh, very apropos for this time of year of March Madness. If only I would have been able to bet on my St. Peter's Peacocks. Uh, I would be a wealthy man, at least until this last weekend's game, which sadly uh, made uh, the clock strike midnight for my Cinderella team. Um, and I don't want to talk about it anymore because it's too sad. But anyway, uh, folks, that is it for our beer flight tonight. But stay tuned. Up next, we have our interview with Jackie Lycamp uh, from the Kansas League of Women Voters that you do not want to miss. Lots of good information ahead. You are listening to Battle to Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. Seven Eight Five Magazine is proud to present KSEF Digital Radio, Topeka, Kansas. That's the thing you're listening to right now, and we're celebrating everything local and everything Topeka. Learn more at 785live.com, and thanks for tuning in. Well, you have heard us talk often on our show about the Kansas League of Women Voters. So tonight we thought we would spend some time talking about uh, just who that organization is um, and let you know a little bit more about who they are, what they do, and who better to do that with, of course, than with our friend Jackie Lightcamp, the co-president of the Kansas League of Women Voters. Jackie, thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Thank you, Angel. Glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, as we get started tonight, you know, again, I mentioned we've talked a lot about the League of Women Voters and its organization. Folks may have heard of it in, in some way. Can you talk a little bit about what exactly uh, the League is and kind of what you do? Well, sure. The League of Women Voters actually has been around for quite a while. We've been around for 102 years. Oh, my gosh. Uh, the, so the League of Women Voters of Kansas itself is just a part of a national organization called the League of Women Voters of the United States. And um, there are leagues in every state. And then every state has multiple local leagues in different cities and towns. So. We are a grassroots, volunteer-led 
almost exclusively volunteer led, especially here in Kansas. We have sure. one part time paid employee and we are a nonpartisan political organization. We have nine local leagues across Kansas and just over twelve hundred members about. And we encourage informed and active participation of citizens in government. And we influence public policy through education and advocacy. We never endorse candidates or political parties. So we, we do a variety of things to fulfill that, to fulfill that mission. So we educate citizens about issues, legislation, and um, we use, we encourage individuals to participate in the process. Most importantly, we encourage uh, and inform through in-depth objective study and we monitor all the branch, all the branches of government. Well, the lake, the local state and national government bodies and all the activities all the way from school board, city council, all the way up to legislature. And then in our national uh, league, they monitor Congress and all of the things going on on the national level. And we sponsor candidate debates and public issue forums, and we do register voters. That's what a lot of people think of us as. Yeah. And indeed, we did come out of the women's suffrage movement in 1920 after women run, won the right to vote. Two of the groups that are working towards that initiative merged and formed the League of Women Voters. So we just had our 100th anniversary. And uh, now we're heading into our our second century, I like to say. That's awesome, yeah. um, And as co-president, so I'm co-president, so I work with a partner, Martha Pint. She is in Wichita, and I'm here in Topeka. And we help lead the organization. So we have a board made up of about a dozen people from from different leagues across the state. And we help support our local leagues. We keep an eye on statewide issues. We share those in, we share all that information with the local leagues and help them um, know, you know, if they need to take action on things, if there's resources we can provide to them to help them do their work and further their work. That's part of what we do. So yeah, that's in a nutshell, what we, what we do. Awesome. Yeah, it's an amazing legacy, amazing history to think about 100 years of of doing that work and and all the impact it's had in that time. Yeah, it's 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 quite an honor and quite a legacy to live up to, for sure. Absolutely. Well, you know, first one of the things you mentioned that the the League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan organization. Um, But of course, that doesn't mean uh, that the League doesn't take uh, doesn't uh, take action on things or encourage people to take action um, on certain issues or advocate on certain issues. You know, can you kind of tease out for folks that distinction between, you know, not endorsing candidates and not being partisan in that sense, but still advocating on those issues that are important? Exactly. So we like this is actually one of my favorite questions. So I'm I'm glad (laughs) you asked this, Angel, because it's one of my pet peeves, actually, (laughs) when people start talking about how certain processes in our government become, quote, too political or they get too, you know, and and what they mean is that they don't like it, that it feels divided and it feels like people aren't talking. Well, political in and of itself is not a bad word. Um, The challenge, I think, the frustration people feel is with the partisanship that we Mm. that we see and that we hear. So um, the difference between the two is that nonpartisan means that as a league, we never uh, support or oppose any kind of candidate or party. That's just nothing that we have anything to do with. However, we are a political organization. You heard that in my definition of what of what we do. We do address issues of public policy, uh, which are by their very nature political because they deal with the work of the people and, and people getting things done in government through policies. So we develop positions on various issues of interest to our members, ranging from we have positions on health care, school finance, uh, gun control, um, redistricting, um, let's see, reproductive rights, for example. Those are just a few. We have lots and lots of positions. And those are all based on uh, a two-year study that our league undergoes with representatives of our leagues across the state to research that, really dig deep, find out uh, about all the different policies and positions available surrounding that issue. And then our membership comes to a consensus about the league's opinion on that. And that will be unique to each local league. So, Mm. um, 
<clears throat> we have national positions that our national organization uh, coordinates, and then we have local ones here in the state. And then um, in our actually our local leagues might have some for their local governments and things that they want to that they're important to their community. So they're at three different levels. We have different positions and they are only arrived at after two years of study. So. That's how we can say that we are definitely nonpartisan. We don't ever consider political parties or candidates positions on these issues when we form our position statement. We look specifically at the facts, at the research, and then what our leagues desire to be the will of the league going forward. And we come to consensus. So we 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 practice what we preach <laughs> when we when we encourage this kind of conversation. That's awesome. Well, that, yeah, I think that, that you're right. It's a process that people don't always know about, and especially knowing too that you know each local league um, has their own positions, especially of course when it comes to, to local government. And so, yeah, you know, thinking about or let, you know, letting people know about that autonomy that each league has um, and that consensus building process, I think is really important. Yeah, it really is. And I, I think that's really what makes us unique. I mean, there are wonderful, wonderful advocacy groups across the state doing much of the same work, similar work that we do. But what really, I think, encapsulates the who the league is, is that we really do have a, a membership based system where we want to know what's important to our members. Sure. And then we work to to find ways to gather data on that and then then make our decisions on our issues based on that and not on any kind of outside um, outside pressures or influence. Sure. Well, of course, one of the projects that has kept uh, your organization busy these last, you know, I say this last year, but it's really been a, a multi-year project when you think about it, is, of course, the issue of, of redistricting, especially uh, congressional and legislative uh, redistricting. Can you talk a little bit kind of about how the league um, approached that issue? I know there was a lot of work in and the league actually ended up submitting so their own uh, maps too as potentials. Uh, if you want to talk about that process. Yeah, this was a really big process. <laughs> and, and so uh, as some of your listeners might know, because they maybe pay attention to this more than others, but redistricting is a process that happens every 10 years. And it's based on the census data that's it's acquired in the, um, you know, the, like in 2020, we had a census. In 2010, we had a census. So two years in Kansas, it's two years after the census takes place. The legislative body uh, for this for the state and congressional maps, they get together and they create a map uh, that helps figure out how to make, you know, all the all the districts equal and um, and representative of our state and that those districts are what really they impact the kinds of bills that are passed, the kinds of policies that are put in place. And so it's really important that this process is done well and correctly. So. The League of Women Voters, uh, about two years ago, I believe, we started forming our People-Powered Fair Maps Working Group. Mm. And this is a powerhouse group of women and mostly women. We do have a few men that are part of this group because um, men can be members Absolutely. of the League of Women Voters. I should have said that <laughs> earlier. But um, this committee uh, worked tirelessly for the last two years to to um, to raise awareness about redistricting, to talk about what should we consider when we're redrawing these maps? What are important um, things to think about to make it fair? And our one of our ultimate goals, frankly, is to change the way we do our maps. Currently, it's done by, our, as I mentioned, by our legislature. And unfortunately, that inherently means it's going to be kind of partisan. Sure. And it means that it's it's we're asking our senators and representatives to draw maps that uh, might put them out of a job, right? Um, depending on how population moves and such. So we would like to ultimately see an independent redistricting commission take be created in our state so that we can uh, give that work over to a, a body that would not be attached to parties and that would be able to uh, more fairly, we think, draw lines that represent Kansans and, and, and re represent our interests. So this cycle, because it was too late to change the whole system, uh, <laughs> at the, you know, by this, after a certain point, we had to kind of go with the system as it was. So we devised a system of guiding principles to keep in mind. And then we, we got to work drawing some maps to try to see how could we engage the process in as fair a way as possible, given that the process is ultimately 
a bit unfair. <laughs> so we looked at um, equal population using that census data. We looked at contiguousness. So trying to keep districts um, and close together, uh, not dividing precincts and such, not dividing neighborhoods, sure. compactness, trying to keep things not from getting, you know, not having too big of a district. Um, also not diluting minority voting strength. That's really important, especially as the population demographics of our state are even are changing. Um, many folks think Kansas is not very diverse and, um, we, we actually have quite a bit of diversity. So how do we reflect that in the way our, our districts uh, are drawn? And then also to create districts that are easily understood by voters mm. so that they can understand, they can, they can, they make sense to sure. them. It uses natural features and, and like streets and um, bodies of water, if, if possible, you know, as boundaries where it's permitted. Um, we wanted to keep counties whole, keep municipalities whole, keep precincts whole. Um, and we also wanted to consider our core principles of diversity, equity, and inclusion mm. in all of that. So that um, we did look at racial breakdown of precincts and districts, in addition to looking at communities of interest, which are those um, those areas, people that have things in common. Those are the folks that you want to be able to vote um, in the same districts because they have the same interests. So they're going to want to elect somebody that represents those interests. So communities of interests were huge as we developed this map. We also did not want to consider incumbency. So um, that's a challenge when the legislature does the process. They want to protect, uh, you know, oh, I'm an incumbent here. I don't want to put Joe Blow up against, you know, Joe Smith. Uh, so that we didn't look at that at all. <laughs> and I think that that makes it a little less enticing sure. for the legislator legislators because uh, they, you know, but in, in fairness, you really shouldn't consider that if you want to have something that is a fair map. And so that was our goal. And, and with those, those tenants in mind, we did devise a congressional map called blue stem. And we also devised a Kansas state Senate map as well as a Kansas state house map. Um, the congressional map and the Senate map were both introduced uh, into the process. We could never get a sponsor for our house map, mm. um, but we did get sponsors for the others. The congressional map made it. Uh, I tried to get it amended into uh, some of the final versions on the floor of the of the of the Senate and 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 maybe the House. But anyway, either way, it got mentioned quite a bit. Uh, the Senate map didn't go quite too far. We were the only outside group that submitted a map mm. in the process. And it wasn't again so much because we thought our map was perfect or our map was the best. Sure, map. Yeah. It was, you know, we adhered to these principles. We followed the rules here. Legislators, you can do the same thing right. and get communities that actually look like, uh, you know, get districts that actually look like the communities that represent. So that was our goal just to say, Hey, this, this can possibly be done. What we found was that the process was a bear to navigate, <laughs> sure. which is why we really want to change it. <laughs> um, so we did our best with the process as it were, um, but it, it, it's not, it, it doesn't allow for um, Kansans to really have a say in this process. And that that's where we find, find some big faults with it. So that's been our efforts for the past past few years. And we're not quitting. We're now going to move into a new phase. Uh, but there's a census in eight more years. So we're going to be here and we're going to be um, encouraging folks to look at this whole issue again. That's awesome. Well, and we folks earlier, we talked about this. These are volunteers that we're talking about, too, that are putting yeah. this together. So we talk about a huge uh, workload, too, by folks who this is not their full time job. Uh, so it's pretty amazing exactly. when you think about the work that went into that. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Well, you know, for folks who might be hearing this and be, be getting really excited about this kind of work. And you know, we talked about leagues being located around the state. How can folks get involved with their local League of Women Voters? Well, we have leagues, like I said, in nine different cities around or cities and towns across Kansas. So you can go to our website. It's lwvk.org. And there will be a page on there that has ways to join. I think it actually says join our league. You aren't committed to join. If you click the button, <laughs> it just takes you to a page on our website that shows you on the map where our leagues are located. And we encourage you, if there's one near you, um, contact them using the links that we have. 
to contact them, find out how you can get involved. Um, there's always something going on with the league and, um, Especially this year, we have it's a it is every year in Kansas is an election year, as you know. Uh, but this year, we've got a, some of the bigger elections, um, more statewide offices that are going to be up. Plus, we have um, well, we thought we just had the one constitutional amendment. Right. Now it appears now we got a new another one in August. It's kind of amendment um, palooza. <laughs> correct. We got one about electing sheriffs. Now uh, we'll have to study that one a bit more. Yeah. But that one's also going to be in August, and then. In November, there's going to be another one. Um, in addition to the governor's race, uh, attorney general, secretary of state. So the point is that it's an election year, and those are the years that leagues uh, are super busy. Which again is every year. <laughs> <Yeah, absolutely. laughs> so there's always something to do, and we encourage folks to reach out. And you can always contact the state league as well. If you if you don't have a league that's close to you, reach out to us. Uh, you can be a member at large, which means you don't live close enough to a, a, a local league, but you want to be part of the organization in some way and, and lend lend your your work to the cause, we, we'd love to talk with you. Awesome. Well, folks, of course, we will post that information on our social media, as we always do with those links, so you can find um, that information on there as well. Jackie, thanks for, for hanging out with us tonight. Well, thanks, Angel. It's always good, always good to chat with you, and I'd love to come back anytime you need it. Hey, absolutely. We'll take you up on that. Uh, for those folks out there listening, go ahead and stay tuned. After the break, we'll wrap things up like we always do with our take action moment of the night. You're listening to Ballots and Brews here on KSF 785 Live Radio. All right, folks, we're going to wrap things up tonight like we always do with our take action moment of the night. Uh, a couple of things we wanted to let you know about. So uh, first up, we mentioned, of course, the uh, city council does not have a regularly scheduled uh, meeting this week. But uh, actually, tomorrow night, if you're listening to the show um, on Monday evening, um, then uh, tomorrow on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, March 29th, uh, the city council in place of their uh, regularly when they would have a regularly scheduled meeting, since there isn't one on Tuesday, they are going to have a special meeting um, just that is going to be a workshop actually focused on the capital improvement project budget, uh, the CIP. And we've talked a little bit about the CIP on this show before. Um, but just as a reminder, the CIP budget um, is this really big budget um, that deals with these really big ticket items um, that the city has um, in their infrastructure. So it's things like roads and sidewalks and bridges and these really kind of big ticket items that are part of the city's infrastructure. Uh, the CIP um, budget is this 10-year budget that is separate from the city's budget um, that goes towards these kind of large-scale infrastructure projects. Um, just as you know, some examples of things that includes, I mentioned streets and bridges, um, the water treatment plant, neighborhood improvements, um, these kind of large-scale kind of capital um, building type uh, uh, investments are included in the 10-year CIP budget. Again, separate from um, the city budget, some past things that have been included in the CIP include things like the 10th, 10th Street reconstruction um, that's happened for a good chunk of this last year, um, repairs to fire stations around the community, those kinds of large-scale projects are what we're talking about. Um, so the city approves a new 10-year uh, CIP budget every year, um, and so that time is upon us for the city to put together um, a new 10-year CIP budget, and so they're going to have a workshop um, on Tuesday evening, uh, tomorrow evening, again, if you're listening to us on uh, Monday night when it shows live. Um, they're going to be having uh, that meeting at their same time that they would have the city council meeting at, so 6 p.m. Um, that meeting will be televised, um, as well as live streamed online so you can go to the city of Topeka's Facebook page and watch that meeting live streamed um, online there um, or you can of course watch it on channel 4 the C-SPAN of the Midwest as we like to say um, or you can also go to the city council chambers and watch the meeting live um, and in person that way as well um, but I encourage you you know when we think about everyone in Topeka you know a pastime in this city is talking about uh, road work and talking about potholes and those kinds of things uh, for those of you that are really interested in city infrastructure and really how we play and to pay for and go about repairing city's infrastructure, I encourage you to tune in uh, to that workshop on Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. and see how the city goes about prioritizing these projects, investing in them, and planning for them because you'll learn a lot in that process. Um, and then you also get to be informed too. So if you want to offer input um, at a later point to the city council on how they prioritize or how they're spending their money related to road work and infrastructure, you'll have that background to do so. So we encourage you to, to check that meeting out uh, on Tuesday 
the 29th at 6 p.m. Uh, another thing to know about on the city level, so we we kind of alluded to this last time, but of course we've had now we've had a census, we've got redistricting going on at the state level, so we've got maps you know that have been uh, done for the congressional seats as well as legislative seats, uh, but we've also got to do redistricting at the local level, um, and so this uh, this summer actually the city council will be sitting down to do redistricting to look at the city council districts um, and to do redistricting at the city level. Um, in order to do that, what the city does is they will actually be putting together a redistricting commission um, that is going to consist of one individual from all nine of the city council districts of Topeka. Uh, so if that is something that you would be interested in taking on, we encourage you uh, to contact your city council member and let them know that you might be interested in serving on that redistricting commission. Um, of course, as always, if you're wanting to find out uh, one, where what your current city council district looks like, which district you're in, find contact information on any of your city council members, that sort of thing. Thing, you can just go to topeka.org slash city council to find all the information on there. And that includes your contact information uh, for your city council member if you would like to be a part of that redistricting commission this summer. Um, and then finally, a note that um, we want to pass on on the county level. This really uh, speaks to kind of where we're at in our response to COVID-19 in our community, that we're really moving into a new phase of COVID response. Um, so as many of you know, we have had uh, COVID-19 vaccination sites up at the Kansas History Museum in our community. Um, and we've also had COVID-19 testing sites uh, set up at the former Silverland Furniture location and the former Southwest Publishing locations here in town. Uh, well, we are, we are sad to say, unfortunately, uh, those uh, sites will be coming to a close this Friday, April 1st. And that's not an April Fool's Day joke. Um, those sites will be coming to an end uh, this Friday, really, as we move into the next phase of our response and recognize that the need for both testing and vaccines has dropped considerably. Uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. So this Friday will be the last day um, for the COVID-19 vaccination site at the Kansas History Museum. Um, if you are looking, though, about where you can find uh, vaccines in Shawnee County, you can always go to vaccines.gov. Uh, websites vaccines.gov. Um, you'll be able to find uh, not only in Topeka and Shawnee County, but anywhere around the country, uh, the nearest COVID-19 vaccination site. So again, vaccines.gov for that. Um, and this Friday is the last day for COVID-19 testing sites um, out and about in the community at the former Slumberland Furniture and Southwest Publishing locations. Um, in order to find alternative testing sites that are still available in the community, you can check out the health department's website. It's just snco.us slash hd slash testing underscore options dot ASP. So that's snco.us slash HD slash testing underscore options dot ASP. And we'll make sure, of course, to include all of these links on our social media um, channels as well so you can find that information. But I say sad day. Uh, you know, it does recognize uh, that we are, again, moving forward um, in our response to the pandemic, that there are that there is less need, which is a good thing. Um, as we know, as we see case numbers continue the decline, I think at the end of last week, there were, uh, I think, all of seven cases of COVID reported in Shawnee County as of last Friday, which is a pretty darn good thing. And so that is definitely a trend that we want to continue. Um, note, this does not mean if you have not gotten your vaccine, this does not mean that you don't have to get it and that all is well now. We strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you uh, to get that vaccine. It does uh, make it so that your chances of getting the virus are, are far, far, far limited. Um, and it means that if you do get the virus, your chances of uh, getting sick uh, considerably sick drop uh, drop uh, uh, considerably um, as a result of getting that vaccine. So we encourage you to get that vaccine if you have not already. And of course, check out vaccines.gov to find where you can do that here in our community. So folks, thanks uh, for listening and tuning in tonight. Of course, we encourage you if you haven't already to follow us on social media, you can follow us on uh, Facebook, which is just Ballots and Brews, um, or you can follow us on Twitter. Our account there is at Ballots Brews. Um, we always post you know, kind of behind the scenes information, additional uh, updates and links um, for more information to kind of back up some of the things we've talked about on the show tonight. So that's where you'll find those links that we uh, just referenced. Um, we also encourage you to subscribe to us um, on any anywhere where you find your podcast. So rather that's on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, wherever it is um, you get your podcast. We encourage you to subscribe to us so you don't miss um, any of our latest episodes on there. Um, and of course, if you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review on there as well. Um, so until next week, folks, 
we're really excited next week again to get to talk to to uh, Wilcott Brewing for that show for our first in-person brewery interview. So make sure that you in for that. But until next week, please, please, please stay safe, drink some good beer, and we'll catch you next time on Balance of Brews here on Kisa 75 Live Radio. Wow.